0: Geekscape, this. welcome to Geekscape. I'm your host Heidi Cox. Uh, if this is your first time on Geekscape, uh, or is it, if this is your first time listening to Geekscape, welcome. We like to talk about pop culture, music, video games, comic books, um, and we also like to talk to storytellers. Now, you might be wondering why I am here. Well, seems like Jonathan's a little sad about uh, the delay of the Weezer album being dropped today, so. I may have to take over for a little bit. I hope that's okay. We're also talking to my uncle who had, he's kind of responsible for my nerd education, at least my early nerd education. I was, uh, I think my very first D&D game was played with Uncle Henry. My uncle's name is Henry Vogel. He is the author of The Lost Planet and several other books, one of which I did the audio book recording for. And when I was little, he wrote a comic called The Southern Knights. If you've never read it, you should check it out. Uh, We also have someone who's a good friend of mine on later named Jack Seabird McDonald, and he co-starred with me in Chasing Fletcher Allen, which was co-produced with Geekscape by my company, Dweeb Darlings, another one you might wanna check out. Um, Jack is also co-starring right now in the Netflix series Never Have I Ever, so you should definitely go check that out. So anyway, this is my room. I don't know if y'all knew that, but we've been broadcasting from here for a while. Um, and uh, you know, you can pretty much see, let's see, this is where I hang my stuff. This is a piece of art that was given to me by my friend Shayla. That's a picture of me, and my grandmother. In case you've ever wondered what those things were, I don't know. So welcome to Geekscape. Uh, so let's see, feel free to comment if you want. This is all there is to this, this is really easy. I don't know. Like, uh, Hey, what are you doing? What? What oh, are you hey, doing? Beauty. Hey, What are you doing? Uh, I just, you know, since since you're using my room as studio space, I thought maybe I could, uh. No, no, for a little no bit. I
2: wasn't going to do a, I wasn't going to do a Geekscape today. I don't know. I was just going to. But we go, have my uncle on. You gotta, no, no, you, you have your, I, I wasn't prepared to broadcast at all. I just, oh. I'm sorry, guys. Mm. Uh. But I guess we have a show book, so I, I will do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, wait, wait, wait run it past me. You've got, Sci-fi author Henry Vogel coming up. Yes. And then later on, our friend Jack Siever McDonald mm-hmm. is going to be on from Netflix.
0: You know, he played Orcon in *Chasing Plush*. <laughs> Alice, yeah. co-produced by Dweep Jolly*, oh, yeah. my, my production company. Okay. So, what? Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's well, the camera's backwards. Yeah. So, so
2: guys, uh, Heidi kind of took over the show. Podcast listeners, uh, don't feel ignored. This is Geekscape. Welcome um, to Geekscape. <laughs> yes, Heidi. You did very good it's on the good. intro. Yeah. Thank you. Um Thank you. Uh, I just heard the show start and I was in the other room and I said, Whoa, hey. Uh, no 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 no. Ain't nobody taking over my ship and
0: hey, running bon.
2: without me." Oh I said, no. Now she she Von says, dream.
0: Hey Heidi, how is it going? It's going well, Vaughn. Bon. Thanks hey. so much. Welcome to Geekscape. Any other geekscapists out there want to say hi, feel free. Throw in some comments. I'm here.
2: Okay, Heidi. I think I an, got the hang uh, of this. I uh, think yeah, I did okay. a really let's, good job. Let's, uh, I, I, you know, you're doing great. Um, I just, it's weird. Nobody else has ever hosted <laughs> to keep you know, in the 14 years that we've been doing it. So, thank you. Well, you're you're uh, so welcome. You, awesome. you know,
0: I just knew you were feeling a little down about the Weezer album. <laughs> <I'm sorry.
2: laughs> yeah, they 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 yeah. delayed it. So, yeah. listen, I'm going to take back over the ship. <laughs> Here we go. Give me those.
0: Headphones. Okay, but I'm saying. So, listen, you talk to my own.
2: Okay, thank you, thank <laughs> you, Heidi. Let's not.
0: Come
2: on. All right. All right. Here we go. Sorry about that, Geek Davis. I'm uh I'm taking back control of the ship. Here we go. Got myself a pirate hat. And uh, podcast listeners are really Heidi ignored you guys, and you are my bread and butter. I love you, podcast listeners. Uh, this is now a visual medium as well, and Heidi thought it would be cool to take the show over since we are broadcasting out of her bedroom. You are.
1: Welcome.
2: But uh, I'm gonna go pirate style now. And um take back over my podcast. Whoa! <laughs> I gotta get the, the hat and the headphones to fit at once. Okay, I think I got it. I think I got it, Heidi. If you're
0: gonna wear the what? pirate hat. You know what I'm going
2: for. Whatever you want. Okay, so I got my pirate hat. I may not have the pirate hat. Here we go. Okay. Geekscapist, sorry about that one. Um welcome to the show. Uh like Heidi said, we've got Henry Vogel on to talk about his sci fi books um let me see some of these the new one that's uh come out is the lost planet but i first found out about henry's writing through uh Heidi because henry is heidi's uncle so henry's going to join us here in a bit to talk about i really want to talk about 80s comic creation because he would write comics back during the 80s and we're talking about like the era of like john byrne writing all those classic uh, like x-men comics with like christopher uh claremont and all that stuff like this classic stuff um, and of course, like the great Teen Titans run of the early 80s and that kind of stuff. So we're gonna get into that. And uh, this is Geekscape. So Heidi, thank you, but-
1: You are so welcome.
2: I am the captain now.
0: Yeah, but I'm also queen, so.
2: Okay, well, thank you, Heidi, thank know, you. Uh, listen to y'all in the other room. Okay, thank you so much, us, uh, This is Geekscape. I'm, uh, I'm Jonathan London. If this is your first Geekscape, yes. Like Heidi said, we're gonna be talking pop culture movies, some video games, some comics, and uh, yeah, strap yourselves in. Let's uh, welcome my first guest. This is Henry Vogel. Like I said, he's a, an author. He's got a couple books out now. Uh, you guys can find them on Amazon, but let's go straight to the source
3: here and um, welcome Henry to the show. Henry, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How, how are you now that you've taken control back from Heidi? I, I was usurped. It was insane. I was literally... Just like not even paying
2: attention, I look up and Heidi had started this pirate broadcast of my own show, and I was like, no, 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 not on my watch, sister. Uh, But the the positive that comes out of it is that uh, you are on the show, and I think that you're a pretty good booking, and I love talking anybody who writes sci-fi and wrote comic books. They're perfect for GeekScape, so I've got you here on the show, man.
3: How are you doing? Uh, I am doing great. Um I'm on the, the east coast, so I'm about as f- hi, Heidi. I'm I'm waving <laughs> back at you. I'll wave. See there. She is so, nothing
2: of mad distracting.
3: Um yeah, but I'm, I've, I've <laughs> oh, known a wonderful distraction. Yeah, I've known her since she was born, uh, as mm-hmm. you might guess, being her uncle. So uh she's always been very, very good at being the center of attention and sort of taking control of things.
2: So Heidi said that you were kind of her intro to like the whole nerd universe from Dungeons and Dragons to comic books to science fiction literature. You you, she, you even had her do the, uh, the audio book version of one of your books, The, the Counterfeit Captain. The Counterfeit uh, Captain.
3: She did a great job too.
2: So like what was, what was it like? Talk to me about your history writing science fiction because was I right in saying that when you're writing The Southern Knights, you were kind of you know uh an indie contemporary to that wave of comic creators like i mentioned like john byrne uh you know christopher claremont those guys and that that kind of leads into that mid 90s kind of or that mid 80s indie world where you get like eastman and laird making tmnt and then you get the explosion of all those really great indie books uh can you talk to me about that because i've read the southern Nights, and um and what's interesting to me is that back in like the early 80s we we have kind of like we have now there's marvel there's dc but then you, when you get past like the image in the dark horses you start to see these different imprints and a lot of them are regionally based uh what was your experience getting into comics
3: um comics it, it was i actually got started my my whole writing career began as a as a comic book writer and it came about because of a, sort of a a lucky chance meeting in um, in Clemson at Clemson University with a freshman who was named David Willis, who was my first partner with the comic book. And uh, he was a, a huge fan, was forming a comic book club. And we were thinking, wouldn't it be great to write a comic book for the club to do a club publication? And when I came up with the characters for the Southern Knights, I decided, I, I no, I don't want to actually turn them over to anybody except myself. And um, I had, unmentioned here, I had act- actually had a little bit of previous publishing experience when a friend of mine and I co-edited and published a couple of issues, couple, you can tell, very short-lived uh, issues of a magazine called Eternity Science Fiction. That one, that one died on the vine, but I learned just enough about Printing and publishing, and what was required to be gutsy enough to think, "Oh, what the heck? If we had two thousand dollars, I could, you know, we could definitely do a comic book." And David said, um, "I, I have two thousand uh, dollars." <laughs> 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 yeah, seriously, you know.
2: Uh oh! Oh no! Uh oh! We've been
3: done that. Now to put things, <laughs> I know, I know to put things further into perspective is like, you know, I was 24, I had, I was going back to college, I had just gotten married. David was when I met him, he hadn't quite turned 18. He his birthday's in September and he was a freshman, so uh I fully expected him to talk to his parents and say, "I'm going to do this" and have them say the hell you are. But right. they were incredibly supportive people, and uh, we we ended up going ahead with it. Uh, he had he was good friends with Sheldon Drum, who runs Heroes Aren't Hard to Find Heroes Con in Charlotte, um, and he put us in touch with Butch Geis, who drew the first two issues. And once once we got going from there, it was just a question of keeping things moving. Um, we made just enough money off the first issue to print the next issue and on like that until we got through seven issues. And then David Kraft, David Anthony Kraft, um, former Marvel writer, editor, everything I think that you could do at Marvel, except maybe art, he did, um, had started up Comics Interview Publications, the Comics Interview um, magazine line, and he took over publishing from there. But yeah, we our first issue came out in August of '82, so we were uh, we were right there at the beginning. There were maybe two or three issues of ElfQuest out at the time, a couple of dozen of Cerebus. Those were big names at the time, and you may not have heard of them anymore because they're. No. Were-
2: I mean, what's funny is Dark Horse is still publishing brand new ElfQuest issues from Wendy and uh, Penny. That's and-
3: true. And Dark-, I mean- Dark Horse didn't exist yet. Right, um, they didn't
2: exist until eighty six, eighty seven when we, Mike Richards we,
3: started that up. Right. We predated them. Uh as a matter of fact, their very first comic book, Boris the Bear or something, mm-hmm. he, yeah. he went around and shot everybody. Uh he shot one of our characters from uh the ex thieves. He shot uh Fred, the the alien. What's crazy him?
2: is uh I mean y- you guys who are watching him maybe uh not as into comics as we are. Um you guys know Dark Horse because obviously off of that Dark Horse imprint, you had Hellboy, you have The Mask. You've got a lot of stuff that came oh. off of Dark Horse. But it started kind of in this same sort of blood sport of indie publishing that the early to mid-'80s was. Like you said, like, Service fought its way to – I think that was the first comic
3: to hit uh, 300 issues as an independent book. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, it's tough. When we – we published 34 issues of The Southern Knights – and we were one of the ten longest-running black and white independent titles at the time. We we finally gave up the the black and white industry. It sort of rose, it fell, and <laughs> I can't find my camera. Yeah. It rose, it fell, and then it rose again, riding on uh, things like the the turtles, the Teenage Mut- Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, Fish Police, a book that was hugely popular mm-hmm. in the mid '80s, and I don't know that anybody these days has really heard of it. Uh, Cerebus rose up like that, and of course, ElfQuest was yeah. uh, was was building. All of those books started this the the build for the second and the really big black and white boom, which. Led inevitably, and I could talk for a long time about the what caused the black and white bust. But basically, it was everybody. Every comic book shop was buying anything black and white that was a number one issue. We actually satirized that in X Thieves, issue number four, and they uh, they ended up getting drak. They couldn't sell twelve for a dollar because people realized they didn't have to actually produce any artwork. They could get orders. They could do everything. Put a crappy book out and and make a whole lot of money, and then sort of walk away. Uh, and they 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 killed us when the when the stores decided that they were going to stop. They stopped every black and white book. They dropped us all.
2: And I think that the only thing that was like the remnant of that going into the 90s. The 90s are pretty much known as like a dark period for comics because everyone wanted to get rich on the like the Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then you started to see these Marvel books make it to cartoons and you see the toy licensing when Toy Biz bought Marvel out of bankruptcy so that they could have mm-hmm. IP for their action figures. Right. Uh, that kind of gave the new resurgence. And it's, I mean, the, the story of selling, the. I and mean, we've had uh, Kevin Eastman on the show and the story of selling the Mut- Mutant Ninja Turtles is insane because they couldn't sell a cartoon without a toy agreement and they couldn't sell a toy, uh, a toy without a cartoon agreement. So they kind of like lied to, me, to, to the toy company and lied to the cartoon saying the other one was in place and they both went forward and that deal could have fallen apart. We could have had no Ninja Turtles, which means no early comics uh, movie boom of the early 90s, like the Dick Tracy. And then it turned into like the pulp stuff like the Phantom. But post Batman, Tim Burton, Bat- Tim Burton's Batman, when the kind of period we're talking about when the when the we start to see a lot of the black and white books dry up and towards the, the mid to late uh 80s there's really not a lot of stuff left beyond jeff smith's bone maybe uh and scholastic had a big part in helping that thing carry and i think by the by the mid 90s all we had was like
3: do you remember poison elves (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah i do remember i do remember the that the title was out there i probably have an issue somewhere in the back being being somebody who did the black and white stuff i did feel a a bit of you know it's like if something looked remotely professional, I sort of felt obligated to try it out.
2: Yeah. Well, we got some questions here in the comments, uh, Henry. Uh, we I got, thought, yeah. Uh, Aaron Oliver off of YouTube says, hey, Henry, I'm interested in your writing process. How do you outline your books? Do you write every day? This is something that I've struggled with as well. Comic books to me feel like I'm shot listing and writing kind of at the same time. and." Do you, what do you use sequence approach or do you outline first and then go into the breaking down into the different, uh, you know, the different captions
3: and, and, and boards. Okay. So um, being, being kind of old school, I'm going to tell you the approach that uh, I learned from my publisher, David Kraft, and also my editor, Dwight Zimmerman, who uh, was working at Marvel at the time and sort of freelancing for us. We did a 22-page comic book. That was the standard then. I think it may still be the standard now. And um, effectively, what I did is I sat down with a piece of paper and I numbered lines one to 22. And on each line, I wrote a brief statement about what was going to happen on that page. It was one sentence that would sort of provide a page-by-page outline of what I expected the flow of the story to be once I had that I went back and this was back in the day when you had what was called the Marvel style of writing uh comic books and there was the DC style the DC style is called full script and it's what virtually everybody does these days but the Marvel style was to uh provide a description of the action where you broke each page down into a paragraph and each panel was effectively a sentence in that paragraph uh, and you wrote the action you didn't provide any dialogue you might say well you know this character says uh you know something about we're going to get you or or don't do that or you know threatens uh something like that so that you could get the uh give the artist the proper information to draw the draw the panel, but I would I would write that the the total plot that I would send to the artist would be maybe three pages long. and uh, the artists would work off of that drawing the artwork. and as they finished pages of the artwork, usually going through entire scenes, they would mail those pages to me, and I would write the script based upon what was on the pages. That way I could, For instance, avoid describing what was happening in the art and uh, could could play off of things that the artist introduced and make sure to include those into the script. I, I liked working that way. I've worked full script also where you go and describe all the action panel by panel, provide all the captions and all the the speech and thought bubbles and and that works out fine too that was a bit of a shift for me but now that i've 15 books in on my writing novel writing career uh, i'm used to writing all the action and the dialogue at the same time
2: well the the full script one was the uh, that that method was the one that when i was writing miami vice i just had a lot of trouble with it it did feel laborious and but i'd always heard of the marvel method and I think the control freak in me just didn't let me do it, but it was definitely something that I'd heard about over and over again because it was Stan's method. And obviously growing up, you think that Stan, the man Lee as being the, you know, the sale end all on comic book writing. And, Absolutely. Uh, and so the Marvel method was always something to aspire to. But for that, you're uh, I think that's the best approach, the way you talked about it, doing, breaking it down into pages. But then for me, I always remembered that you had to give a reason for the page turn. So it was almost like beyond breaking down the 22 pages, you had to economize where that right hand page was going to be and make sure that you had something really pretty cool at the bottom right of it. So that when they'd want to flip the page and see what happens, you know? Well, that would have been a good idea. I I never actually (laughs) paid
3: attention to that.
2: And and then you have have them sell an ad and they put it on the page and they screw your numbering up and and, and you have to change everything
3: one thing you had to have with uh, with the Marvel style is you had to have a really good working relationship with your artist. You had to trust them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had to trust them to put the, put the information in there, put the stuff that you drew. And and I only had one time where I had to go back to the artist where they took what I had written for an entire page and shoved it, shoved it into one panel and, yeah yeah it was it was fortunately it was the very first panel in the page so we just added a page to the comic book
2: well uh rick though, off of youtube says when is the southern knights and super action man crossover happening well that that's my character and uh, henry's characters so and we'll, we'll work on it we'll work on something like that uh <laughs> kuragari off of twitch says that's stupid good comics shouldn't suffer for overgeneralized garbage that's clearly a problem with pre-internet data collection <laughs> everything boils down to what's marketable and what sells now. So there's a limiting factor uh, on what gets made now. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, it, it felt like a little bit more of a free for all back then in the early it 80s. really was. Uh, you, and really you, the only distribution channel was
3: like conventions and you're almost selling zines at a certain point. You know what I mean? Yeah, there were, there were, well, first of all, there were half a dozen different comics distributors, uh, Diamond was the largest of the bunch and we we sold more books to them than anybody else but there were quite a few different comic book distributors. There was uh, one called Glenwood, Capital City um, there was Pacific Comics, short lived. They were also known for their comics that they produced um, but uh, quite a few different distributors that we sold to and it was um, it was a juggling act but the problem was that the this was still the early days of the comic book industry and the direct sales. And I think a lot of the guys running the comic book shops were comic fans first and businessmen about 33rd. Cause we would, we would hear from people. It's like, yeah, you know, we get your book. It, it sells okay. And you're like, well, you know, how many copies did you order? And I, I heard this story from more than one, uh, black and white publisher, they'd say, well, you know, we ordered, uh, we ordered 10 copies of the, of the book. Uh, and, and how many do you have on it? We don't have any. Did you reorder? Oh, look, we did. We ordered another 10 and they sold two. apparently they did. Yeah. And what did, and we reordered again, you know, you'd find out they're sitting there thinking, well, we didn't sell much at all. And they sold 30 copies of the book. Um, and so given the data
2: that- wasn't
3: working, right? I mean, they, they had no, real database. No inventory control. Right. It was just sitting, it was, they, they kept it up here and, you know, God bless them because they, you know, I would have had no place to sell my comic books if there was not those guys, but they, they really, they didn't know the business side of things or at least not the business side of things. They probably could have told you exactly what, how many copies of amazing Spider-Man number, whichever they sold because they were big Spider-Man fans. But maybe they weren't reading the Southern Nights or whatever. But th- there was a lot of uh, a lot of misinformation flowing around. So they just when when they started finding themselves losing vast amounts of money on the crappy black and white books that were showing up, <laughs> they just panicked. And as the, you know, the old saying goes, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And we were one of the babies.
2: Well, um, Henry, why don't you talk about some of your prose work? You've got this uh, new book, *The Lost Planet*. Um, what's the story here? Is it in the same series as your previous work, *The, the Fugitive Air* or uh, *The Counterfeit Captain*? Or is this a series? Is this? Are you making your own shared universe,
3: Marvel style? I, I well. The Fugitive Air and the Counterfeit Captain share a universe. As a matter of fact, the main character in the Counterfeit Captain, uh, Captain Nancy Martin, was introduced as a minor character in The Fugitive Air. She really only appeared in a couple of scenes, but uh, I just liked her as a character. And so I, I, after I finished writing The Fugitive Air, I ran with creating a story around her, the Counterfeit Captain. The idea being that that was a, an old science fiction trope of the lost uh, generation ship that is vanished into space. No one knows where it is, and the people on board no longer know they're on on board a spaceship. The difference is that I take somebody who knows they're on a spaceship and introduces them, and I introduce them into that that culture, and uh, then it's the adventure to see exactly what's happened and and can she get control of the ship and, and bring the help that these people need so that they can eventually actually settle on a real planet. Um, but the lost planet, which, uh, as you say, it came out in November. I kind of called that when my star Wars, and it is in a totally different universe. There's no association with any of the other books. Um, it features the the two characters that you see on the on the cover. Um, yeah, these two. Yep, um, <laughs> as uh, basically the last hope for humanity when the vast alien empire called the Regency invades humanity, and they invade with you know they have a thousand different species under their control in their empire, and humanity's got a handful, you know, a few dozen, maybe a couple of dozen planets that they've, so, you know, the Regency is invading with a just just a battle fleet that's larger than the entire fleet that humanity has available to them. And the reason that uh, the two main characters, Glenn and Elise, are their names, um, they are the last hope for humanity because they, they have a line on, what they hope will be a weapon designed by an ancient long vanished race called the progenitors who uh, raised all of the races in the regency up to sentience from animals. They just, they spent a lot of time, they raised all these people up and then they vanished. They created effectively this massive empire and then they vanished and left a servant race of theirs in charge and the servant race, uh, runs things. They are, um, and they're the ones who, who they dislike humanity because they're kind of a heretic race because the progenitors had nothing to do with humanity. And so they're, they're out to bring them under the proper order.
2: So it is this, uh, it's sort of a, uh, um, you've got this dark horse kind of, uh the race that, that shouldn't even stand a chance against this much larger superior technology and advanced civilization with so many more resources in control of the galaxy, they got one shot. It's Basically, sort of like yes. Yeah. The Hail Mary story of can they uh can they overthrow no I'm not gonna say evil empire, <laughs> but this hegemony, right? Of uh, yes, uh of and, civilization.
3: And it's it's I don't want to try to give away too much because there is a certain level of uh, discovery going in there uh, as to what's behind it. And, and actually, humanity's level of technology is not that much lower than the, uh, the regency, the hegemony, as you were referring to it. Uh there, there are reasons for that, and they're, they're described in the, in the, the book. But the idea is that, yes, the the two main characters and a few allies they have within the Regency have to push deeper into the Regency by themselves in, in a single spaceship to see if they can rediscover the lost homeworld of the progenitors. And they desperately hope find a weapon they can use to take back and stop the uh, the invasion of the human space
2: the eradication of the human race.
3: Not a rat. We would have been enslaved.
2: Oh, like, oh, no, that's, that's not fun. I think I'd rather do the eradication thing. Um, all, is, is this is a one shot or is this going to be it is all in, a in one,
3: all there. It's, uh, it's all there. Every one of my books is self-contained. Okay. If you read one, even the ones that, that are in a series, they, they do have a self-contained story. And if you decide you don't want to read any farther, you aren't going to sit there and go like, oh, damn him and his cliffhanger endings. Every one of them is is a self-contained ending.
2: That sounds like original Marvel in DC comics. Yeah. No? And um, that, it's like the, the the single issue stuff where if he had to, if Spidey had to fight the Green Goblin, that's all you needed. And I think Joe Casada said it best. I read uh, an interview with him. Uh, and I remembered this a lot when I was writing, saying everybody, every comic, is someone's first comic so remember that when you're writing someone's going to pick it up and it doesn't matter if it's issue one or issue 248 it's going to be someone's first comic and you got to have a good story in and of itself in that
3: that issue that's right and that's why you would always see peter parker would do the half spider-man half peter parker thing and and somewhere in there he'd always say oh i was supposed to go visit aunt may and she's been so frail lately uh, all these things to give you the handy hints so that you would you would know who these people were the, you know the first time you were picking up the comic book and I try to make sure that whatever book you pick up of mine is if it you know you'll you'll have what you need to to read it
2: well uh, geese gave us the book It's called the lost planet you guys can find it on Amazon uh, just search for author Henry Vogel uh, I've got his name up here on the screen. Henry, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Heidi just popped back in. Um, thanks, uh, Geeks us. Go find Henry on uh, Twitter. He's Henry Vogel 9 You guys can find out all about all his books. He's got a Facebook page. If you guys are watching this stream on Facebook, go search for author Henry Vogel. He's got all the information about not just The Lost Planet, but the rest of his books. And uh, go pick them up on Amazon and order them. What else are you doing? Is it, we're in a pandemic. What else are you doing? you kick your feet up and read some books? We there you that. go. <laughs> Henry, thanks for coming on GeekScape, man.
3: Thanks for having me. Appreciate <laughs> it.
2: Bye, Heidi. <laughs> Henry says bye. Uh, Heidi just dropped off this. What is this? This is a... You just, oh, yeah. This is a... uh Wait, you
0: have
2: a question? Heidi, this is a bill. Heidi, yeah. you just dropped this off. Why, why did you give me a bill? Uh, studio rental? Well, yeah.
0: I mean, you are renting from Three Darlings. I, so I was thinking maybe um, could you just wear that? Can I wear that for the show? Okay.
2: Like a yeah. please, pro- this is Wait. sponsored advertising. Wait. Heidi, it well, says no, a thousand dollars.
0: studio space, so it's not personal. Three it's just a business thing. I love you.
2: Okay, so okay. yeah, we'll talk about, about, about this. Okay, later. so. Bye, Henry. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Heidi just came in and gave me a, a a bill for the rental of her studio. Um. That's great, uh, and it's awesome to uh, to see that people are responding to oh me talking to Henry. Uh, Kurigari says, "I just added it to my uh, list to read." That sounds awesome. Let us know what you think, Kurigari. And again, he's uh, Henry Vogel nine on Twitter. You can you can let Henry know yourself. Uh, and Richto says, "Speaking of indie publishers, I recently decided I want to read some old EC comics." Can anybody recommend specific titles from them? Let me bring Henry back in. Maybe he did. Hey, Henry, uh, we got this guy wanting to read old EC comics. What, what, any recommendations? Uh,
3: I, I hang my head in shame, but uh, EC actually even, I'm old, but EC is older. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, how are you going to define these? I mean, it, it's I mean, hard Unless to- you go back to the 80s and you want EC to be Eclipse comics, in now which case- live. I could make a recommendation or two, but I know he means EC comics who were killed by the, the comics code. Comic code. And yeah.
2: EC comics did a lot of the horror comics and things like that. That the crime comics. Those were all killed by the comics code that only got thrown out like 10 years ago. But speaking of old eclipse comics, I just read the miracle man series again. And that's some weird brainy stuff for
3: you. It really is very yeah. different. So I don't think you can go wrong with just about anything by EC. Um, So I I think you'll do fine. Look for names, you know, look for artists, you know, pretty sure Wally Wood did some work for EC and he's an incredibly talented artist. Uh, Williamson probably did Uh, all those, all all the big names. Frazetta may have even done some work for them. I'm not positive, but uh, I don't think you can steer wrong. If it's still in print today or if it's been gathered and reprinted, it's probably worth your while because that's something that people are still interested in reading 60 and 70 years later.
2: Now those are genre comics. Those
3: yeah.
2: are comics. Um, Henry, thanks again for coming on the show. You got an encore, buddy. You got an uh, encore. Happy to, happy to
3: be here. <laughs> thanks a lot. And, and Kurigari, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the book uh, and, and leave a review on Amazon, regardless of how you, you what you think. I appreciate honest feedback. Thanks so much, Henry.
2: Uh, cool. That was awesome. Henry, I hope that I see him again very soon. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, have you guys been watching Netflix during this whole pandemic thing? Are you guys done with the Tiger King and the Love is Blind and all that stuff? There's a brand new series. Uh, it's on now. Uh, we got one of the stars of the show. He's actually a friend of ours. He was in Chasing Fletcher wow. Allen, which was a geekscape Gate co-produced and Dweeb Darling's uh, project. Thank you, Heidi, for, for reminding me that it was a Dwee darling's product for another shout out so I can pay off this video rental. Um, I'll just keep shouting out Heidi's production company until I'm completely out of debt to her for using her bedroom to broadcast Geekscape. Uh, our friend Jack Seaver McDonald is one of the stars and we've got him right here. So if you guys are watching Netflix, you might just recognize this next face on the stream. What's up, Jack? How are you?
1: Hey, Jonathan, I'm good, how are you?
2: Jack, what what's this show that you're on on Netflix? Tell me about it. What's the name of it again?
1: It's called Never Have I Ever. And uh, it's a, the story centers around Davy Vishwakumar, a 15-year-old Tamil Indian American high school girl from Sherman Oaks, California. And uh, after a horrible freshman year, Davy wants to change her social status, but friends, family, and feelings do not make it easy for her.
2: Well, Jack, where are you quarantining right now? What's going on with you? Well, are you wearing a hat too? Like, I got this hat. Heidi says hi. Hi, uh, Heidi. I've got a pirate hat on. What do you think of that? What do you got, like a safari hat?
1: Oh, no. This is uh, hat
2: a hat of my mother's. Yeah,
1: I came in a little early and saw that you were wearing a hat. I wanted to wear a fun hat too. So,
2: does <laughs> your mom I know that you're wearing or? a hat? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I went and modeled before I came on. Are you quarantining with your parents right now? Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Well, Jack, I mean, you're younger than me. You're, uh, you're a young kid. Now you're in this Netflix show. Uh, why don't you tell me about it? Who do you play in, in this Never Would I Ever?
1: Uh, in Never Have I Ever, I play Eric Perkins, who is one of the classmates of uh, Davey, played by uh, Tree. And um, I am in five of the ten episodes. I have little bit parts here and there, and uh, I'd say I'm pretty pretty strictly comic relief at this point. Hmm. But the rest of the show is also very funny.
2: You're nothing but like dramatic in Chasing Fletcher, Allen.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's kind of a stretch for me doing (laughs) something comedic, but I thought I'd give it a
2: shot. Oh, what I love. Jack, you were I. I would do this character. This uh, I would just do it for my friends, and then I think we filmed it a few times. But it was my dungeon master character, Orcon, and mm-hmm. I did this. I did this character for my friends for like. I, I think I stopped doing Orcon maybe 15 years ago, and Orcon is one of these know-it-all kind of neck-bearded characters who's a DM and just know. He, I mean, he knows all of the dungeon master rules. that you know right off the top of his head. Mm-hmm. And, a bit of a, a geek elitist, and uh, and that's a character that I would do just kind of to make my friends laugh. And we filmed it a few times. I don't think it's anything mm-hmm. that geekscape has ever seen. And then when we were when Heidi and I were writing chasing, chasing Fletcher Allen, I wanted to put Orcon in there because mm-hmm. she thinks Orcon's hilarious. Uh, and I and she's like, "You need to play Orcon, Jonathan." And I said, "No, Heidi. Orcon is a younger character. Uh, Th- those days are past." uh and so we we went in search of our Orcon, and you you were our Orcon, and chasing fletcher allen you had to actually grow the neck beard how was that i know you Uh, love it
1: oh yeah it was fantastic um my girlfriend hated it and uh it was very itchy and it was my first time really like letting it grow out as much as i could and uh, I think it came out just about the way you guys probably wanted it to look. Or,
0: but actually, yeah.
1: I remember you guys saying when you sent out the audition notice, you were like, yeah, he's a neck beard," And everyone was like, oh, I don't have one, but I can grow it. And uh, I remember weren't you guys saying, like, we don't really need the actual beard. It's the attitude behind the beard. And you guys decided yeah. to let me know I didn't need the beard, I think, after filming.
2: Well, here's the thing, is we described the character as a neck beard type character. And honestly, in the auditions, you came in, and I, I was like, yeah, this guy's seen the subreddit. He knows <laughs> <stuff."> <laughs> he, yeah. he, he practiced with a katana sword or two in preparation <laughs> for this audition. You came in, and you were basically the guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Then you start. Then I mean, then we didn't shoot for another couple of months, and by that time, like, you grew it. Mm. I, don't blame me, brother. <laughs> I, I, don't blame me. You were doing some Al Pacino method crap, okay?
1: Uh-huh. Where, where
2: you were like, you know what? I have to become the neck beard. So, I no one told you to grow a, a neck beard, you no, inhabit the character fully. And I mean, would we have done that with makeup? Yeah, it would have looked like we strapped pubes to your face but you know like come on. yeah no uh, oh, I, it, uh
1: it definitely helped having the, <laughs> the beard I I really did feel the uh you know the sort of uh low self esteem the uh hurt that uh, is within all neck beards I think uh. the
2: the elitism
1: of mm-hmm. it
2: uh, well one thing that i've noticed with actors uh and this is something that uh uh i think every actor has kind of their reset for a character and when you guys see me i'm not a very good actor but whenever you see me do characters on geekscape uh, are they characters or they actual people uh i've got these i got certain phrases or lines that are resets. uh when when i first moved to la i was an assistant on a tom Selleck movie and I and Tom Selleck would do mustache acting. And mustache acting is he has a mustache, and whenever he was supposed to look like he, he was playing a detective, and whenever he was supposed to look like he was thinking or you know investigating the scene of the crime, he would just peer off screen, just at an angle, and he would just play with his mustache, like hmm, right? It's almost like a like a body, like a, like an old villain twirling a mustache. Yeah. And now you you had a character reset where you would just stroke. You're like neckbeard. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That helped you center the character? Is that the phrase? I'm not a thespian. Uh it
1: it sort of just helped remind me what I was doing. And uh it actually was mostly just itchy. I was just scratching a lot of the time. But yeah, it was also a good reset to be just like, oh Orcon ponders and wants people to know he's thinking hard. So he, He's smarter than
2: them. He's their yeah. mental superior. Uh, the good news is you grew it, so as Kirigari uh, states, I didn't have to yell on set, hey, somebody get me some more <laughs> of that pube glue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I would not have had you use pubes for the neck mirror. We would have used something like I would have found an animal and, in, in like, shaved it or something. You could have had like shaved squirrel hair on your face or something. I would have I'm nothing if not resourceful, Jack. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you enjoy being part of a short film that has uh, been finished just in time to run headfirst into the cancellation of festival season? <laughs> oh man, I mean, I it yeah. is
1: kind of one of my first. Um, short films in general. So it's uh, as far as I know, this is how it always goes. Uh, yeah. But it's it was still like so much fun, and getting to see the finished product at a private screening was uh, very fun. And
2: um, well, Jack, yeah. maybe one day somebody else will watch them. <laughs> we can't mm-hmm. show people the finished film because it'll make us uh ineligible for premieres at at, at festivals Uh, but at the same time festivals like aren't happening they're all postponing or to my or or they're doing this thing where they're going online they're like hey we're doing an online festival do you want to take part in it and i'm thinking to myself well if we take part in the online version of the festival does that mean we can't screen in a real world festival like later in the year when people start going back to, to to theaters or 2021 like i mean i want people to see the movie as much as anybody but at the end of the day, we did make a festival, a film that we wanted to see in a theater with people. Because watching it with the cast and crew, that was that made it so much better. After like months of doubting and not knowing what we have as a short, to have you guys mm-hmm. laughing and responding? Oh, thanks, man. Um, Heidi just chimed in. She said, uh, "Stop!" Oh, here it is. She said, "Stop saying tubes." Oh, yeah. I said, "I just... I guess I just said tubes again." All right, that's what she gets <laughs> for throwing that comment. You can't. Listen, I'm the captain now. You can't come in here and shadow dictate the show when I've got the captain hat. This is my, this is my pirate hat that I will fit awkwardly onto my headphones. And uh, if, you know, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say what we're gonna say. This is Geekscape, all right. You may have started the show, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna end it. Uh, Kirk <laughs> said, I, was, I was wondering when I was gonna get to see Chasing Fletcher Allen because I already paid for my digital ticket when he helped fund it. Uh, yeah. No, listen, we're working on it, Kuragari. But festivals come first, and right now there are no festivals. Uh, Bando, I wish we were part of a streaming series like you are. How'd, how'd you get involved with this thing, this Netflix series?
1: Uh, it was just one of the auditions that I got from uh, my agent. And um, at the time, it was untitled. And I think I had another uh audition that seemed bigger which is just kind of the way it goes you know you're auditioning and you're worrying about this one that seems really big and so you seemingly aren't as worried about a smaller part or what have you and i ended up getting this part which was uh, originally just a one episode one scene character and um I just was improving on set and having a lot of fun with the lines and the character, and they ended up inviting me back.
2: Uh, you know, it, who's the guy from American Pie that was like a one scene? You always hear these stories like somebody coming in and doing like one scene, um, and they end up like now being a bigger part of like the sequels or the next uh season or something you know what i mean like they, they mm-hmm. started out and they were only supposed to be in one scene or a small bit part of the film or, or they were only going to do one episode of that first season but now are you, are you getting feedback i mean the show's been out like what a week
1: yeah yeah it's been out uh about a week a little what's over that, a week i
2: think what's the response been to this never have i ever Uh, people seem
1: to really love it. Um, it was number one on Netflix, uh, sometime last week. And then I saw one of the other cast members posted a picture that it was number one in like seven or eight other countries. And, uh, so it's, it's been really, uh, impactful I'd say to a lot of people and,
2: Now, Jack, uh, have you gotten any, like, fan email, anybody hitting you up? Anybody being like, hey, uh, my favorite character is Jack's character? Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. I've been getting some uh, Instagram message requests of uh, people being very kind and saying that, you know, they they love the character, they thought I was funny, and um, all very kind messages. I'm very fortunate not to have gotten anything creepy. So... uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not 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 like me threatening to like glue cat hair to your face or anything like that. Not nothing than that level, right? No, 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 nothing compares to you, Jonathan. You're.
1: (laughs) Uh, But uh, overall, it's just been yeah a lot of positive uh, feedback. Um, One thing that I've been uh, hearing from a couple people every once in a while is that uh, it seems as though my character is kind of treated like, uh, kind of a fat joke just because, I mean, I'm overweight
2: and so I played. You're beautiful. You're beautiful.
1: Thank you. But they're not mutually exclusive. You can be overweight and beautiful. I know. You're right. You're right. Not a big thing, but anyway. And so some people have like complained a little bit about that and wondering if there's going to be more backstory to the character later if there is another season and uh unfortunately i have no idea i don't know what the writers are thinking i don't know if there is going to be a season two but um i think that the character is mostly misunderstood
2: (laughs) yeah i here's the thing um I hope that there is another season. I hope that there's a lot more seasons and I hope that they expand your character. I have not watched the show yet. I chose to watch Chris Helmsworth beat up a bunch of people in Extraction. Have you seen the Chris mm-hmm. Helmsworth thing, Extraction on Netflix? There's a scene where he whips a bunch of like, there's a bunch of like eight year olds who attack him with machetes and he just starts beating up a bunch of eight year olds. I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really fucking know what, what is happening, but Chris Helmsworth is beating up a bunch of eight year olds with machetes. <laughs> I think it's kind of tight. (laughs) You know, it doesn't take a lot for me. So I'll probably watch uh, Never Have I Ever, and I'll probably end up, like, thinking it's the greatest thing ever. And it might – I'm sure it's amazing. It just – when it came down to Friday night and I was like, what am I going to watch on Netflix? I said, I want to watch Chris Hemsworth punch a bunch of eight-year-olds with machetes, you know, uh, fight them all at once. It's like that – you know that website, uh, how many eight-year-olds can you fight at once? Have you ever seen that website? I have not
1: seen that
2: website. No. <laughs> oh, you're, you. you're a good person. Okay, Jack. Don't mm-hmm. have, we? You should stop associating with me. All right, <laughs> uh, but it, but I will tell you this: if if we do end up going to festivals when festivals return, and uh, and we end up uh, people, you know, Heidi has said, you know, we love the short, but Heidi's like, oh my god, it, after uh and lavar and then uh this i've done done a lot of heidi playing heidi she wants to play other roles she doesn't know how to she wants to expand uh that story and i said that's easy we're going to do an orcon series so i may ask you to grow back the neck beard would you be willing to do that what kind of price are we talking here for you to grow back the neck beard hmm um you know I'm already in debt to Heidi for studio rental. Like, talk to me. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, uh, I just—it's just the love of the craft, Jonathan. If uh, it's—if it's consistent work,
2: uh, a whole series, we'll, I'll consider it for sure. Okay. We might see Jack as Orcon again. (laughs) Well, you guys haven't seen Jack as Orcon the first time, but we're working on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kuragari says. As a fat guy, uh, but yeah, I know how it feels to see fat people as only comedic relief and not something more. Um, I think this this guy, uh, what's the name of this actor? He was in um, the the Atlanta City, the uh, Atlanta bombing uh, movie yeah. for for Clint Eastwood. He's a fantastic actor. He was nominated for an Oscar for the uh, Tanya Harding uh, yeah. uh, movie with with Margot Robbie. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, and I don't think that he is a bigger guy. And I don't think that his his, his appeal is all about hey, He's a big guy, and it's comedic relief. He's done some incredibly awesome dramatic stuff. He's a fantastic actor. Did you know that I listened to that, that guy was working at the Five Guys on Ventura in Studio City, right? Right up until he got the phone call that he was, that Kingdom was going to go. Uh, that he got the audition. Uh, they got the part in Kingdom, which is like one of these AT like on mm-hmm. demand. Uh, Paul Walter Howers who we're talking about. Thank you, Derek. And um, I don't think that, you know, obviously he's funny, but awkwardly, it's a different kind of funny. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not Paul Blart. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. Paul stuff. Yeah. That- I, I'd say, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're the guy who knows stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that it's, it can be difficult to sort of parse that out when Uh, an overweight person is being funny Uh, it's I guess sometimes people just automatically are sort of like feel bad for them because they think it's only because they're overweight that they're funny or that that's what the joke is but um, I I know that there are plenty of uh, like Chris Farley Uh, He was overweight, but I don't ever – it was not often that I remember that the whole joke every time was, I'm big Chris Farley. It was his intensity. It was his commitment. And it's just interesting that, like, some people can uh, see something like, never have I ever, and and kind of feel bad for my character because I'm – overweight and i'm being funny but i haven't had a bigger part in the show or something
2: do you think that that was what the material that 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 was the extent of the material for the show
1: no uh, i i really don't especially since um you know i was only there supposed to be there for the one day and the first scene that i filmed which is in episode two Uh, I, it's never mentioned my weight. I just am complaining about it smelling like shit in the room (laughs) and the teachers like Eric, just stop. It does not smell like that. And I'm like, yeah, it does. (laughs) And um, so, you know, my character is like, he's sick a lot. He's difficult with teachers. The other students don't really like him just because he makes class difficult and a hard time, but he has, I think, a lot going on behind the scenes and uh, his sort of backstory, which is waiting to be told.
2: Well, how close was it? Because you're not that far removed from high school yourself. You're a young man. You got your future in front of you, not like me. Um, How was it playing someone in high school which is probably not that distant of a memory to you now. Like, what was it, what was it like? It, was it tough to tap back into it? Did he give you nightmares? <laughs> what was the story there?
1: Um, no, it, it wasn't super difficult, probably just because, yeah, I'm still pretty close to that. But also that sort of high school vibe doesn't really change much I've I've experienced as you go through life, people are still mostly worried about how they are being perceived. Like in high school, people are wanting to be cool. They want to be accepted. And it's something that can feel like a high school thing, but is true for any age really. So it's, it was really just feeling human and,
2: I think you just Do described it. Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like people want to be cool. <laughs> they want to yeah. show their best side. Everybody wants to be popular. There's a lot of pressure to fit it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just Instagram, Jack. That's like high school yeah. doesn't end. It just goes to Instagram. Like that's that's all yeah. it is. You just described social media. And it it is actually crazy because I did go to high school at a time of no social media. And those were like my singular goals were, hey, Can you get a girlfriend? Can you Mm -hmm. appeal to this group of people? Can you fit in here? And then when social media started kind of creeping up, I can only imagine how that compounded and multiplied those pressures on somebody actually in high school. Because it's like, oh, I don't just have to compete for the eight to 10 hours that I'm in school a day. This follows me home and it's on weekends. And this pressure is kind of really the eyes that are on me. It, there's no relenting of that uh was that the, the right kind of attitude when you went to high school you had oh, yeah. that stuff in high school like once you walk out of like i felt like once i left school and made it to the car it like those pressures disappeared i knew i wasn't going to get beat up no one was going to say anything rude to me i was going to go home and i could chill and then prep myself for like the constant derision the next more the next morning it felt like a gauntlet, but a survivable gauntlet because it was only for like a few, hours. it was only for like 10 hours.
1: Now that, yeah.
2: that gauntlet continues, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I was kind of right on the edge. Uh, I graduated high school right before it was really such a huge thing to have your social media on and uh, popular all the time. So I, I also had that uh, sort of, relaxation of finally getting home and having to, yeah, prepare for the next uh, day of war that is high school.
2: (laughs) Uh, I got to tell you, Rick, though, from YouTube says, this guy has a real hat commitment. You're going places. Um, Jack, I think you are going places. I'm going to watch this thing, all right? I'm going to watch Never Have I Ever. It's on Netflix. It's 10 episodes?
1: Yep, it's 10 episodes, about 20 to 25 minutes each episode.
2: Oh, that's great! And there's, you can you can finish it in five hours. It's yeah. So it's, I could do. Wait, hold on. I can do the math. Carry the one. To divide by. Hold on. I can do the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five hours of content right there. And you're right. in. I can do the math. You're in half the episodes. I can do this. You're in uh two and a half hours worth of content so if you guys just want to watch jack it's a two and a half hour commitment but if you want to get context to what his character is going through you're going to have to invest in five hours of streaming content or we can do what i did last friday is just watch extraction with chris helmsworth and watch him beat up a bunch of eight-year-olds who are swinging machetes at him Uh, it's really just what you're in the mood for i think we should go with jack in Never Have I Ever. It's currently on Netflix. It, you know what, it's probably always gonna be on Netflix because <laughs> you're on Netflix. I don't know how you get off of Netflix unless you're you're like Marvel, but right. Netflix made it. It's on Netflix, Never Have I Ever. Um, look for Jack, he's awesome. And then uh, sometime in the next uh, 10 years when festivals return, maybe you'll see Jack <laughs> chasing Fletcher Allen, the Geekscape co-produced, Dweeb Darlings co-produced uh production that some of you guys helped uh uh, raise the funds for and put together jack dude thank you so much for coming on geekscape is there anything else you want to plug anything else
1: um i am without an agent right now if you're an agency looking for more people hit me up
2: there we go maybe i'll represent you how are you doing with contracts because i got an offer i got an offer sheet yesterday for something And I need somebody to look at it. Uh, If you, uh, if you, could you be my lawyer and manager if I do some of your representation? Would that work, Jack?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that'll be just fine. I I doubt anything will go wrong. And
2: um, yeah, I'll I'll send you the contract I just got. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll send you out on like uh, actors access and stuff like that. And be like, hey, this is Jack. He acted for me. He's willing to grow a beard. You do not have to use pube glue to to Mm. put, uh, cat hair on his face. Is Perfect. That okay. That's All right. Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks, Jack, for coming on Geekscape. Jack McDonald. Watch him thanks on Have I Ever on Netflix. Now, Geekscape us, I think that's our show. I love you guys so much. I uh, hope you guys are doing well through this pandemic. I have had my bouts recently, of, oh my God, this is going to go on for a while, and our world is changing, and. You know what? I think our world's constantly changing. We have to keep wrapping our heads around it, but the isolation fatigue does get pretty rough. And I'm somebody who I have been experiencing it. I started Geekscape all those years ago as a way to reach out to you guys. I couldn't get like arrested as a director. Now I can barely get arrested as a director and a storyteller, but I started Geekscape as a way to connect a whole community together. And now we've got you guys. And it really, really, really has helped me a lot to be able to go online and stream with you guys keep making podcasts for you guys. If you uh, are not a podcast subscriber, definitely jump on that because I'm putting out uh, audio interviews with people that are not making it to the stream. These are things that are not video, they're audio only and they're available on the podcast. Uh, so go and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're a podcast listener who are like, Hey, what's going on with all those visual jokes and what was up with Heidi starting the show off today? And That sounded, seemed pretty funny. Well, jump on and, and get on it because we're on YouTube and Twitch and periscope i know you love the periscope and of course facebook so come be a part of geekscape on that stuff uh, it really has helped get me through this pandemic and i hope that i'm able to give you guys a little bit of uh, relief throughout your weeks uh because i think we're in this but we're also in this together and even though we can't like hug each other or meet up at comic con uh we got this and it's kind of the best i can do right now and it, it's working for me And I love it. And I'm not going to say that things aren't rough and that I haven't had dreams that I got COVID and turned into a giant beetle. That metamorphosis dream definitely happened to me last week. It was pretty freaking scary. Never went back to sleep after that one. But (laughs) we are uh, here for each other. And we did build Geekscape as a place for you guys to share and relate and talk about the lighter stuff, the fun stuff, the pop culture, and also talk about the personal stuff, the things we're going through. And I know that we're all going through something right now um Kurigari, you've been great this show you said thanks jonathan i'm a little depressed but i'm surviving i still have a job i'm getting by being single in isolation really sucks Uh, Kurigari, dude my heart goes out to you man i can only imagine uh but look at the brighter side you could uh be with somebody in uh the quarantine and they could throw you a thousand dollars for uh, live streaming the show from their bedroom so I got to go figure out um, how to pay this bill. Um, Maybe I'll throw you guys up like a a kick. You know, maybe I'll be like, go fund me how to pay for the Geekscape studio that um, Heidi is making me pay for now that I'm broadcasting out of her bedroom. Uh, But we'll see. Um, Speaking of that, uh, we're going to start up a stream tomorrow. If you guys are podcast listeners, you're not going to be able to see this. But on Thursday, you guys saw Heidi's haircut last week. That went pretty well. My haircut's not too bad, but please don't look at the back. She's not so good with the shaver. Uh, Tomorrow, I think it's time to pay the fiddler. Uh, I'm gonna put on Heidi's makeup and give her a new hairdo. So if you guys like watching these streams, tomorrow I'm gonna be doing Heidi's makeup. I'm nothing if not an artist, but I've never done anybody's makeup in my life. So we're gonna be doing that on the stream tomorrow. Uh, Follow our socials for all of that information. I think it'll be same bat time, same bat channel, okay? So subscribe, share, all that stuff. I love you guys so much. This is Jonathan, Geekscape forever, and peace.
0: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.